With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch, down to the sole. They even smell them, because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay authenticity guaranteed. Visit ebay.com for terms. Charles Darwin. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Grabber, and alongside me virtually, at least, is Logan Camden. For the first time in six months or so, this episode will be going up on the Blaze Radio website live, and we are certainly excited to be a part of Blaze Radio once again and get this thing back on air. It will also, of course, be coming out as a podcast, and this is a big, busy week for us here at Nerd Sesh. We did an NBA pod. We're doing a sports history pod later in the week, so make sure to tune into all of that. But today, since we did just talk NBA, we're going to be focusing on the NFL, and we're going to start, Logan, by talking about some NFL teams that are off to rough starts, but that may still have the potential to make the playoffs because you always hear the stats cited about the teams that start 0-3 have blah, 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 this low percentage. A little bit different now that we have the seven playoff spots in both conference, maybe a little more unpredictability as well because this is just a strange time to be involved with sports. Let's start with an easy one as far as their playoff prospects. The New Orleans Saints, who are 1-2, and two, but I think both of us expected would be a playoff caliber team coming into the season – do you still think they have that playoff potential? Uh, yeah, the Saints are almost as close a lock for the playoffs as a team can be. Um, they played two tough games against Las Vegas and Green Bay, and I think Green Bay may be the best team in the NFC. So uh, a bit of an outlier there. And as for Vegas, they're another tough team that I think is destined for the playoffs. Um uh, and for the Raiders in that game against the Saints, uh, they just fed Josh Jacobs. They didn't let Drew Brees get the football. I know people have had their concerns about Brees and his arm. It's not shot, okay? People, we can look at the average yards per attempt, and guys like Big Ben, Kyler Murray, Carson Wentz are all lower in average yards per attempt. Uh, people may make the case that Big Ben is washed, but you're certainly not going to call Kyler and Carson Wentz washed. Uh, I think once Michael Thomas gets back and healthy, this team will kick back into gear and make the playoff push. And don't forget, this defense forced three turnovers on, yes, a very unpracticed but very talented Buccaneers squad. This defense is solid. This offense is as solid as ever and has weapons. Kamara, Thomas, great O-line. Uh, there's no way in my eyes that this team does not make the playoffs. First off, I love the way that you phrase that Drew Brees thing as if after week one, you were not going back on your MVP pick for him <laughs> as hard as you possibly could, saying he had a noodle arm, talking about him being this 42-year-old man. So when you say people were saying this, you mean I, Logan Camden, was the one driving the bus. <laughs> I completely agree, though. And if you look at the Saints' formula for success, they've gone three and 13-3 and three in each of the last two years. 
with slightly above average defenses, good defenses, but they've never had to be elite there. And it's been a tough first three games, but a tough schedule. And you look at the Bucks game where they won comfortably. The Raiders, that's a pretty great offense, and I think that that's not a terrible loss. Letting up 37 to the Packers, well, the Packers are averaging 41 a game, so that's understandable in that sense. And Breeze, my faith in him has never wavered. He's maybe not quite what he used to be when he would throw for 5,000 yards every single time out. But as more than a game manager, a guy who controls the game at a high level can make winning plays for you, he's always going to excel there. My only question is, are these defensive issues concerning? Because they haven't been great through three games. And you look at a guy like Cam Jordan, who has been a star on this defense, 15 and a half sacks last year, doesn't have any through three games. They're getting decent pressure as a unit, but not exceptional. And again, they haven't really made those game-winning stops for the most part. Are you concerned about them at all on that end? Or do you think that they will even out and get back to the level we've seen them at the past couple seasons? Uh, no, I think you have to contextualize. I mean, they didn't have a preseason, so these defensive guys aren't going to be as warm. Same goes for the offense, but uh, there's too much talent on this defense for me to be concerned. A old veteran uh, like Michael Malcolm Jenkins in the secondary, uh, still a solid young pass rush. Yeah, I think there it's it's a little bit concerning, but when you're going up with two offenses like the caliber of Green Bay and Las Vegas, uh, it kind of washes away because those teams are going to put up points regardless. I completely agree. I think it's more of a product of just they've played some really good offenses. Hopefully Michael Thomas is healthy for the most part for the rest of this season. We'll see if Breeze can mesh a little bit more with Emmanuel Sanders because Sanders hasn't really gotten those touches in the absence of Thomas, and he to me is the kind of guy who could unlock even another level for this offense because he's that good. Let's move on to one where we're probably not going to be as optimistic. The Houston Texans, 0-3 at this point. They've also had a brutal three-game schedule. Is there a world in which they still make the playoffs? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, 2018, this team opened up 0-3 and ended the season on an 11-2 streak, ended the season 11-5, made the playoffs. Uh, obviously, these are two different rosters. No D-Hop, no Tyran Matthew in the secondary, but the reason that I'm confident in the Texans making the playoffs, or at least having an opportunity, is Deshaun Watson. Uh, they don't need to win 11 with this new format. They just need to win eight games, and a roster ultimately led out by Watson. I I don't think it's uh, I think it's too early with the caliber of opponent they've placed to count them out. Um, the O line is horrible. I'll admit. I think the addition of Laramie Tunsil has added benefit on the left side, but Deshaun Watson has been getting killed back there, and we see the loss of D Hop. He just doesn't have a guy that he can stop and just chuck the ball up to and get consistent offensive yards. Uh, as for the receiving core and the other position guys on this offense, I think David Johnson isn't washed. I think he's got a lot left to do, and I think we're going to see that kick in as the rest of the season plays out. Tough defenses they've played early on is why his numbers have not been as exceptional. And as a receiving core, I like Cooks, Fuller, and Cobb. They're all reliable targets for Watson to go to. Um, and this pass rush isn't terrible. I think this team is getting written off by a lot of people because of their record and uh, you should. The, the Texans are a mediocre team, but in the AFC, a mediocre team can make a playoff push as you know, seen in previous seasons. And I think the key is not just the AFC, which is pretty top-heavy this year, but the second wildcard spot is the kind of thing where you expect maybe an average team can sneak in there, and particularly in the AFC South, where yes, you have the 3-0 and Titans, but they haven't been very convincing. There's an opportunity there. I highly doubt it, I do think there is a world because of the superhuman ability of Deshaun Watson. What I really look at is the defense, which took a big step back last year, and I don't think they've necessarily improved there, which is why I'm not all that encouraged. Obviously, a healthy J.J. Watt helps. He's got five quarterback hits through three weeks, but he's not enough alone. Certainly at this point in his career, he's not the 20-sack wrecking ball that he used to be. 
And I just worry about the supporting cast around Deshaun, the offensive line, the defense. The weapons are fine, but you don't have the kind of perennial all-pro guy in DeAndre Hopkins who can help win you games by just being that bailout big play machine at all times. So I do think the head-to-head matchups in the AFC South are going to be huge. You go 3-1 and one against the Titans and Colts. You beat the Jags in both your games against then. Then you have a real path to winning the division. If you're sub-500 in those games, then I think they don't at all. But their schedule is relatively light the rest of the way. Really, the only surefire playoff team that they still have to play are the Packers. And they've already played three of the top five teams in football in the Chiefs, Ravens, and Steelers. So it is going to get better from here. I'm not sure if it's going to be enough for them to make the playoffs, and I would still bet against it because when I look at their entire roster makeup, I still don't think it compares to the Colts or the Titans, even though those aren't these super teams. I think they're a little bit better all around. Let's move on to a team that always has this tremendous hype around them. You were out on them this year. The Dallas Cowboys, who are sitting at 1-2 and two in the lowly NFC East. Are they still a potential playoff team? Yeah, uh, in, in my eyes, Carson, uh, they're a lock for the playoffs. I hate it because I'm I'm, I'm here it in. I'm, I'm ringing it back in. I'm, I'm bringing the Cowboys hype train. We're, we're getting it going once more. And the reason is... Uh, the rest of the division has taken the season off. They have the best quarterback in their division. They have the best O-line in their division. They have the best running back in their division. They have the best wide receiving core in their division. And they have the best front seven in their division. I mean, they are just superiorly talented to any other team in the NFC least. And uh, their secondary has some definite concerns. I don't like their safeties. If I was Jerry, I'd get Earl Thomas on the phone immediately and just give him a one-year deal to reinforce some of that. But no other team in this division has a shot from the game tape that I have seen. So uh, I'm, regrettably, I am all in back on the Cowboys hype train as the season moves along. And the talent is undeniable. So I absolutely think that there's a path, and I think it's by far the most likely outcome. What's interesting is, of all the crazy things that Stephen A. Smith has said over the years, there does seem to be some inevitable truth in the Cowboys self-destructing. This is a team that last year averaged 27 a game at a plus 7 point differential, still went just 8-8. Eight and eight. But if you look at their resume throughout this season, they have two close losses to really good teams in the Rams and Seahawks, and they have been able to score with anyone. Yes, they very easily could be 0-3, which I don't think we should overlook because they could not stop the Falcons for three-plus quarters and let up 39 against them. They just happened to score 40 because they can score with anyone. Dak is averaging 396 yards per game right now. The guy's just been on another planet, and... I think that it's so fascinating how the Dak versus Wentz debate has evolved because if you looked early on, Wentz was the magical playmaker, Dak was the game manager guy, and now Dak can just be this gargantuan force for offenses, slinging for 400 yards consistently. But a part of that is, of course, the weapons around him because I think that in Amari, CeeDee Lamb, and Michael Gallup, that's got to be the best receiver trio in football. You have two guys who were 1,100-plus yard receivers last year and a first-round stud in CD. I do think, though, a little bit like the Saints, the questions have to lie with the defense. You would think it's slightly improved this year because you have the Everson Griffin addition. You have a fully healthy Leighton Van Der Esch. You have remarkably Alden Smith, who I would like to explore at least a little bit with four sacks through three games. And I think that his pro football reference page is going to be a difficult one to explain to our children how this guy had 19 and a half sacks in his second season, disappeared off the face of the earth for five years, and now hopefully, potentially, is having a resurgence. At the end of the day, I just have faith in the talent. Do you think that there's a world in which this defense is so detrimental and there's just a little bit of that anti-Cowboys magic in the air to where someone else from this lowly division can sneak out of there with the title? God, I hope not. 
I mean, that team would get destroyed <laughs> in the playoffs. Uh, yeah. To me, the Cowboys' pass rush is much too good. You mentioned Alden Smith. He has been absolutely balling this year. He's always been a great pass rusher. Uh, I just wish we could have seen a a healthy Alden Smith. He could be one of the greatest pass rushers we've ever seen. But uh, Everson, Griffer, Everson Griffin, excuse me, uh, uh, defensive end, is another great pass rusher. I mean, I just think they put too much pressure on the quarterback to really have any concerns with the defense. Uh, Ling Vander Esch, I'm pretty sure... Uh, suffered a broken collarbone, so he may be out. That is a point of uh, concern for the Cowboys. But, uh, no, I-, I like the talent on this team, and like I said, they're going to get after the quarterback. And uh, secondary concerns, yeah, pass rush, no. Let me ask you one more question about the Cowboys because they are always a point of fascination. And you're right about Van Der Esch. I completely forgot about that. I believe that was week two that that happened. Um, how good is Dak going to be for the duration of this season? Is he a top 10 level guy to where he can be the focal point of this truly elite offense? Because they were on the verge of that last year, and he was pretty darn good last year, but it wasn't enough to get them over the hump then. Uh, focal point, I'm going to go no. You still need production out of Ezekiel Elliott to win games with this team because I think Dak does have his limitations. Uh, is Dak a great quarterback? Yeah, I think he is. He's He's just got instincts on where to move in the pocket behind a pretty solid pass-blocking uh, offensive line in Dallas, and he makes tough throws. When I think Dak is the perfect guy to have around a team like this with all the wideout talent, with a guy like Zeke that can set up bigger pass plays by getting a bunch of linebackers and safeties in the box. Uh, so focal point, I would say probably not, but a great quarterback with a great offense around him? Yeah, definitely. So we've seen some disappointment from the Cowboys. But the pinnacle of disappointing football in 2020 has to be the Minnesota Vikings, who you and I both perhaps foolishly picked to take this division over the Green Bay Packers, who have looked pristine while the Vikings have been bordering on the worst team in football, just purely results-based through three weeks, sitting at 0-3. Can they still find their way to the playoffs? No. Uh, <laughs> I've sold all my Minnesota Vikings stock, sadly. They're, they're just weak in the trenches, Carson. Uh in 2019, they had the fifth-ranked D-line in football through three weeks, 25th-ranked O-line, 27th-ranked D-line, and the losses on the defense is where the issues for the Vikings are coming from. They lose Xavier Rhodes, who didn't have a great season last year in Minnesota. I wrote him off, but he's showing his value on one of the best defenses in football in Indianapolis. You lose a guy like Linval Joseph, and their run-stopping has been atrocious up the middle without him clogging up lanes. Uh, you lose Everson Griffin to the Cowboys, and their pass rush has been abysmal. And on offense, you lose Stephon Diggs, and Kirk Cousins all of a sudden comes back to earth. I don't think Cousins can be successful behind an O-line like this, and the loss of Diggs has proven majorly because uh, Kirk's just thrown a lot of interceptions. There's not a guy there to bail him out. And I think you really saw what this offense is like against the Indianapolis pass rush, only being able to score 11 on them. Kirk Cousins looked horrible. Uh, I am completely out on the Vikings because of the Bears and Packers standing at 3-0 and and how tough the NFC West is. I don't think they compare to any of those teams. So uh, I'm fully out on the Vikings, and this is a big game coming up against Houston. Whichever one of these teams loses is, in my eyes, officially out of the playoff race completely. I don't know if anyone's ever come back from 0-4. Maybe someone has, but there's certainly no team that I can think of off the top of my head. What's so fascinating to me about the Vikings is you talk about that defense. And yes, they suffered some losses, but there have been few more consistently productive defensive units in football over the past decade than the Mike Zimmer-led Vikings. The lowest they've ranked 
in points allowed is 11th. They've consistently been elite, and you're right. They lost Griffin. They lost Rhodes. They also picked up a guy like Yannick Ngakwe, and you figure with all the talent that they maintain on this roster, the defense should at least be above average, and they have been abysmal, letting up 34 a game, 43 to the Packers in Week 1, just getting dominated consistently through the air, and there's not much indication that they'll improve. When you look at the talent on this roster and the coaching staff and the culture, where they've always seemed to muster up at least a good defense— do you think we see improvement there, or is this just a bad defense for the rest of this season? Uh, no, I don't think we see a whole lot of improvement, Carson. I think moderate uh, with the young guys getting up, but this schedule isn't easy for the Vikings. They take on the Seahawks. Russell Wilson is going to light them up. They take on the Falcons. The Falcons can light up offensively. Then you've got the Packers again. You've got the Cowboys, the Panthers, the Buccaneers, the Saints. Uh, I mean, you got a couple games off with the Bears and the Lions in, in your division, but Overall, I think this could easily be a very long season for Minnesota Vikings fans and an unexpected one because, as you said, Carson, uh, this is, I expected the Vikings to definitely be closer to 3-0 and than 0-3 through three weeks. Absolutely. And the expectations are always high because they're consistently a quality team, or at least they have been over this era of football. I think that the intriguing side is the offense because the defense has just been honestly disgusting and disappointing. But when you look at a guy like Justin Jefferson establishing himself as a reliable guy, there's real intrigue there. Dalvin Cook has been nothing short of spectacular. But I just think in the NFC, when you start 0-3, if this defense doesn't suddenly morph itself into an elite unit, which I don't expect, there's no indication that Kirk Cousins can carry a team. And you talked a little bit about his struggles. I do think, though, this is probably the worst we've ever seen him, and he is a guy who has never put a team over the top necessarily, but has certainly been competent in being an above-average quarterback. His limited turnovers has thrown for his 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, whatever, and I think is a guy who at times has been overly criticized because, sure, he fades in the biggest moments, and he's not that top 10 will go out there sling for 400 yards when you need him and win you 10 games on his own merits, but he's certainly capable of not making a team terrible Right now, it just seems like everything's falling apart with the Vikings, and they are worse in every conceivable way. I don't know how much of that has to do with the Stefan Diggs departure. I do think Jefferson has the kind of talent to where he can be that reliable guy, guy alongside him. Are we seeing a level of play from Kirk Cousins that merits the Vikings looking long and hard about if he's the guy after this season? Yes, easily. I think that the Vikings have got to make a contingency plan as soon as possible because we have seen this time and time again when a team overpays for a quarterback and puts him under contract. Kirk is in uh, Minnesota for another two seasons after this, and if they decide that he's not the guy, I don't know who's going to want to take on a $21 million contract in 2021 and then a $35 million contract in 2022. And I didn't like the signing at all because Kirk Cousins seemed like a an average quarterback that could be brought up by the talent around him. You don't want to pay a guy like that. And if they decide that Kirk isn't the guy after this season, it could be a it could be a full overhaul of this Minnesota Vikings roster because of his ineptitude. And this is year three for Kirk in Minnesota. So even though years one and two were by and large successful campaigns, this is the kind of, you know, memories are short in the NFL. And when you look at the all-around talented rosters that the Vikings had in those two seasons, which were really top five level rosters in football, I think that that was probably covering up some of Kirk's deficiencies. And he's had a rough go. Again, I think he's been an overly criticized guy. He's just a solid starting quarterback. But when he's 32 years old and you're paying him the money that you just mentioned, that's not necessarily the guy you want to remain invested in. Let's talk now about maybe the most fascinating team of any of these. 
The Atlanta Falcons, who of course have had two catastrophic collapses in their last two games against the Cowboys and the Bears. They have been much maligned for just allowing these remarkable comebacks in the past, and there were some calls for Dan Quinn's head already after just three weeks, because of course there were last season as well. Is there a world in which this team, in the deep NFC, with their tremendous offensive talent, still finds a way to make a playoff push? Yeah, I think they can make a playoff push. They've held leads in every game so far. It's I think there has to be a coaching change, and I don't know if that's if getting rid of Dan Quinn fixes all of your issues, but to me, if you can hold a lead against these tough teams that you've played against, the Cowboys, um, you can win these games. I have a message for Dan Quinn, however. Dan, take out your notebook, take out your pen, and listen up. When you have the lead in the fourth quarter, run the football, Dan. It's not that hard. <laughs> hold on to the ball. Don't let the other team get it. If they don't have the ball... They can't score. Wow. You saw it in the Super Bowl, Carson. They didn't run the ball. They tried to keep throwing it and throwing it, and you keep taking Matt Ryan sacks that that give up field position and hurt you in the long run. Dan Quinn is a dumb play caller. That is what I think of Dan Quinn. You don't have leads like this and then blow them. Carson, the Steelers don't blow leads because Mike Tomlin hands the ball off to James Conner and Benny Snell, and we run out the clock. Atlanta, you have Todd Gurley this year. Depend on him. Ride on him and his very thin knee cartilage and see what can happen. Go win some football games. I think you're underselling the seductive properties of even-year Matt Ryan because, and listen, I've talked about this on Nerd Sesh before. Matt Ryan, every other year, is remarkable, and then he's just okay the next year. Let's go through the pattern. 2016, 38-7 touchdown and interception. 2017, 20-12. 2018, 35-7. 2019, 26-14. This goes back even further than what I've addressed. This year, he's off to an incredible start. And this is one of the best passing attacks in football. Matt Ryan is so good. I think that the Falcons may have, and call me crazy, two top five receivers in football. I think Calvin Ridley is that good and that special. Not to mention what Russell Gage has brought to the table. Hayden Hurst has been big for this team. But I don't think they can make the playoffs. In spite of all that offensive talent, even though I am a huge believer in the fact that offense is what wins you games in the modern NFL, it's why I put my faith in a team like the Cleveland Browns to maybe snag a wild card spot before the season, and who knows how that's going to turn out because it's been a mixed bag from them through three weeks. But this team is so exceptionally bad defensively that I just can't have faith in it. Letting up 16 straight in the last eight minutes versus the Cowboys. Letting up three touchdowns in seven minutes versus the Bears, Logan. The Chicago Bears. And yes, the Nick Foles magic was in the air. And I'm very aware of the power of that. But when you have this brilliant passing attack, Todd Gurley hasn't been at his best, but he's been solid. And I think that if they can weaponize him a little bit more as a receiving threat, which of course is what made him so special during his peak years in LA, then you're talking about just another level still that this team has to go to offensively. But I don't trust this defense. It's been bad since the Super Bowl season. It wasn't even great that year. They were just scoring 34 points a game or whatever. That's a huge reason why they blew a 28 to three point lead. We can talk about the schematic decisions, continuing to throw the ball, remaining aggressive, But the fundamental problem is they have the kind of defense that will let up these strings of consecutive touchdowns. That's not on Matt Ryan, and that's not necessarily on Dan Quinn offensively. It's on the defensive personnel and their performance. So I just think that this unit is so bad that we're not going to get there. I hope for a great season for Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley, and Todd Gurley. I think there are a lot of really fun, really talented players. But there are too many fatal flaws within this Falcons team for my taste. Let's talk about one last intriguing option out in the NFC who have not looked great through three weeks. I gave a passionate defense of Carson Wentz ahead of week three. 
He didn't exactly deliver, ended up with a pretty ugly tie against the Cincinnati Bengals. Logan, you referred to it as the NFC least earlier. Is there a world in which the Eagles get out of this thing and make the playoffs? No, and I'm going to get into that here in a minute. But first, I want to talk about the ending of that Bengals game. That left guard cannot move. You cannot push your own team out of field goal range and take that kick away from Jake Elliott. I hate seeing I hate seeing ties in football. I hate seeing ties in any sport. That's embarrassing. You just got to stand there and wait for the ball to be snapped. Um, th- that can't happen again. Uh, more importantly, I think a concern of the Eagles has to be they tied the worst team in football from last season, and they lost to the second worst team in football. Those are very alarming uh, outcomes. Uh, Carson Wentz's confidence looks shot. He looks like he's in his own head out there. He's not making good throws. He's being rushed in the pocket because of this poor offensive line. And Carson, they were getting hustled by Carl Lawson and Sam Hubbard in Cincinnati. They are in for a whirlwind in these next few weeks. They take on the Niners. Yes, they're beat up, but they have one of the best pass rushes still in the league. They take on Blitzburg, the best pass rush in the league. Then they take on the Ravens. They hit the snooze one time against the New York Giants. And then you get to take on Demarcus Lawrence and Alden Smith. I, The Eagles are in for a really long season, I think. And they have talent on this defense, too, which is what is so demoralizing that their offense isn't producing. They have a great pass rush with Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox and a shutdown corner in Darius Slay. They've got stars. They've got talent. But this team is... This team is falling apart at the seams, and I think they're in store for a lot of losses the rest of this year. I agree. I don't think that there's a route in which they make the playoffs, and I've talked about this before. Carson Wentz has put a Band-Aid on this team for the past couple seasons, literally because they've been so injury-ridden, but also because the infrastructure around him has largely been incompetent, and they haven't put the right weapons around him. Their defense hasn't been strong enough, and he's just sort of chug-a-chug-chugged them to the playoffs by being a really high-level quarterback. He is not playing at that level right now. Through two weeks, I remained optimistic because I think that we saw he had good moments. He played good halves of football. Then he played really bad halves of football. But you talk about the tentativeness. Six interceptions through three weeks is alarming, and it is not getting better right now. I still don't think Jalen Hurts is the answer. But I don't think that this is largely on Wentz. I think that this is just not a very good football team. And they have missed out on an easy first three weeks of the schedule. When you play two teams who are unequivocally in the bottom quarter of the league and you come out of that without a win, you can debate the merits of a tie. I view it as almost effectively a loss if you're actually aspiring to make the playoffs, especially when it's against a team that you should be that much better than. I just think there's a huge gap between this team and the Cowboys. When I look at the Cowboys, I see that star potential offensively. I say, okay, they can go out there and put up 30 on anyone. And maybe they're going to let up 30 as well. When I look at the Eagles, I think they're probably going to let up 30 and maybe they score 20. I just think... When you look up and down this roster, is there one single factor, one unit of this team that you say they are most at fault, or is it just the combination that has been disastrous for these Eagles? Uh, I mean, it's been what I've harped on since the beginning. It's this offensive line. Uh, You said it best, Carson. The Band-Aid for this team has been covered up by Carson Wentz and this deteriorating O-line, because the O-line that was in the Super Bowl was really good, and... I think you're exactly right. I don't think they realized that how bad these guys were falling off and how bad they were at actually blocking because it's on them, Carson. If you don't have blocking up front, if you're not strong in the trenches, you're not going to win games. And uh, I think they overall have let them down more than any other unit on this roster. Yeah, and you continue to trot out a guy like Jason Peters who remained so good for so long, but now at 38 years old, coming off of one ACL tear, I believe, 
obviously that guy's not going to maintain the same level of football. And the Eagles, to me, have continued to ignore some of the biggest faults with this team. Uh, and as well, I mean, you trot out two rookies for this season. They're not going to be locked down for a MVP-level quarterback like Carson Wentz. I don't know what the Eagles have been planning in the past few years. I don't think they've been planning whatsoever. Uh, this is going to be sad, watching the Cowboys trot out their team, because I wanted to see a competitive race between these two rosters, but it's not close. And look, Carson Wentz hasn't been great. To use that pick on Jalen Hurts is, in my opinion, a wasted resource. That should be another weapon, another strong defensive player, another lineman who you're trying to put around Wentz to solidify his position, to build confidence for him, for the guy who, again, has taken you to the playoffs in consecutive seasons when you probably shouldn't have been there. And the Eagles have done the opposite, and he's a scapegoat, in my opinion, because the Eagles fans are rowdy, they need someone to blame, they need that radical change, and it's easy to say, Wentz bad, Hurts good, just because we don't know what Hurts has done yet. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think anyone who would be thrown into this fire right now would struggle. And Wentz has performed accordingly. We're going to take a quick break. On the other half, we are going to be handing out some NFL awards, doing one of our favorite segments, Award Tour, talking about some of the top positional groups in football, and then wrapping up with some quick power rankings. This is Nerd Sesh. You're listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. We are back, and we are reviving award tour, handing out some awards to the most deserving NFL players from the last week, and we're going to start with the Kermit the God Award, which goes to, of course, none other than Patrick Mahomes, who was incredible in a 34-20 convincing win over the rival Baltimore Ravens, 74% completion for 385 yards, four touchdowns, doing things that only Patrick Mahomes could and immediately putting that knife in the Ravens' back and putting them to sleep before this thing even really got going. The next award is the Chuck Norris Roundhouse Kick Award, and I'm giving that to Dan Quinn, uh, blowing leads in three straight games, most notably 15-point leads in the fourth quarter against the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys. I'm calling up Chuck Norris to come into Atlanta and kick Dan straight in the throat to stop him from choking another one away. Such a violent selection. Next up, we have the Buffalo Bill Wild Cowboy Award, and that, of course, goes to Josh Allen, a former Wyoming Cowboy and a current Buffalo Bill, who had five total touchdowns and had a wild, tumultuous final drive to win it, which included taking a minus 12-yard sack, a face mask penalty on a quarterback because he was just fighting for his life out there, which you don't often see, facing two third and 20s, got out of it all alive, and somehow got out of there with a win in what was about as up and down of a game as you can have, but... As always, the great gunslinger came out on top. Josh Allen for MVP. Okay, the next award is uh, the Grey's Anatomy Award, and I'm giving that to the Denver Broncos. Uh, everybody's hurt. Mark Barron, new signing out of Pittsburgh, IR. A.J. Boye, IR. Von Miller, IR. Cortland Sutton, IR. Drew Locke's out. Phillip Lindsay is doubtful. Uh, this team has suffered so many brutal injuries, and their entire roster is depleted. So the Grey's Anatomy Award to the Denver Broncos. The... Hey, Logan, we don't get to watch the Steeler game. Award goes to the Tennessee Titans for preventing James and Logan Camden from watching their Pittsburgh Steelers this week after their week four contest was postponed after three Titans players and five Titans staff members tested positive for COVID. So unfortunately this week, James and Logan will not be watching the Steeler game. 
<laughs> That's the best impression of my dad I've heard in a minute. <laughs> the uh, the final award, we're staying in the AFC North, and uh, I'm going to give it the Bengals O-line, the Matador Award. Ole! No blocking whatsoever. Burrow sacked 14 times in three weeks, three times versus the Chargers, three times versus the Browns, and a whopping eight against the Eagles. Uh, Joe Burrow, uh, I am praying for your safety. Uh, hit the weight room, champ. You're going to need it behind this O-line. Just about every day I get a text from Peyton T. Gallagher saying that Joe Burrow is going to die. <laughs> and it really is scary because he's so good, he's so special already, and he somehow keeps his composure while these 280-pound men are flying at him at all times, just bringing him down consistently. This is a real test, and we've seen noble quarterbacks struggle because they get drafted into the wrong situations. Hope and pray that that isn't the case for Burrow because he is that special. Speaking of some of the promising quarterbacks, as I hinted at before the break, what we're going to do in this segment is run down some of the top position groups in football right now. We've had some outstanding performers through three weeks, and we are going to be doing this, though, not just off of raw performance, but off of who we would take. So Josh Allen is a guy who's been incredible. He, as far as performance, may be the number one quarterback in football. If you're Logan Cannon, he probably is the number one quarterback in football. Is he the first guy you would take, though? Maybe not. So let's start actually at the quarterback spot. Let's count down five to one. Who are the top five quarterbacks in football in your eyes right now? Right, number five, you just brought him up, Josh Allen. Uh, second strongest <laughs> arm in football, 71% completion. Uh, for a guy that has average yards per attempt of nearly 10, that's that's an insane number for a guy that's throwing the ball downfield that much. He's had a great completion percentage every season of his career. I think paired with Stephon Diggs, this is one of the most dangerous duos in football. And not to mention, he's a smart, fast runner. He uses his, his big frame to break off and shed tacklers. Uh, I think my only one concern with Allen is he just needs to wrap the football up a little more, but uh, number five, I'm definitely taking Allen. He's just got more intangibles, and uh, he throws that rock hard. Well, Logan, we agree. I mean, in fact, at times he's thrown that rock too hard, but I am getting all in on the Allen train, and I have obviously been tentative because I've seen two full years of Josh Allen, and it has been a mixed bag. But through three weeks, 1,038 yards passing, 71% completion, 12 totals touchdowns, and what has been so remarkable is his composure in picking apart defenses. The deep balls have been awesome. That's a new weapon of his that is unlocked. He's a threat to run at literally any moment, but it's the consistent effortless drives down the field to where he gets you in scoring position basically every time you need him to, and you still have the possibility with the Buffalo Bill Wild Cowboy that he is of him doing something boneheaded, the fumbles, you would think the interceptions. He threw one quote-unquote interception in this week's game. It certainly was not an interception, although it was still a stupid throw, but that was the worst call I've ever seen in my life if you don't know what I'm talking about. But at the same time, he has found a way to gut it out when they need him, and he's made those big plays, and he always seems to be a little overly zealous for those big moments where you think, that guy probably had a little too much coffee and maybe he's going to do something crazy, but he does tend to pull it out, and he's two for two in these in those spots this year, and through three weeks, he has been the Buffalo Bills' best football player, and that is a really good football team with some incredible defensive talent. He is such a star. He's so dynamic, and when I compare him to a guy like Drew Brees, who was my first left off the list, as far as composure... Yes, I would think maybe I would go Breeze if I need a guy to give me one drive, but also if I'm taking a full game, Allen can throw an 80-yard bomb at any time. He can reel off three 10-yard runs in the same drive, and he's just that kind of special weapon right now. Let's move on. Who do you have at number four right above him? Uh, number four, I have Deshaun Watson, and uh, again, I think people are jumping to conclusions here early in the season because they're 0-3. Uh, Dabo Swinney compared him to Michael Jordan, and it's an extremely apt comparison. This guy just has that in wow. him. And 
I'd love to see what he could do behind a Texans O-line. 62 sacks in 2018, 44 last season, 13 already through three weeks, and yet he's a constant. 31 total touchdowns in 2018, 33 total touchdowns in 2019, a pro bowler. And Carson, this O-line was ranked 27th in 2018, 32nd dead last this season. I mean, if, if the Texans can build a solid O-line behind Deshaun Watson— He's got some of the best instincts and QB vision I've ever seen. He knows where to move. He's he's just one hell of an athlete and a great quarterback. I want him to be on a better football team. He really is that special. And for the Texans to win 10-plus games in back-to-back seasons, they do not come close to that without him being as great as he is. He is lucky that he's been able to survive having such a terrible offensive line because he is so dynamic out of the pocket. I love Deshaun. He would probably be, along with Breeze, those would be my first two guys off. My number four is Lamar Jackson, though. And some people may think this is too low. Some people who maybe overreacted last week might think it's too high. I think that he's flawed. When it comes to a playoff game, he's not one of my top three guys in football, and that's why I have him here at the same time. Even though he's 27th in passing yards right now, averaging 20 less rushing yards per game than last season, which he's obviously not producing at the same level as he was in what was one of the great seasons of all time, he's the dangerous runner in football. And that is not a quarterback exclusive thing. That is anyone at any position because when a quarterback can run like he can and also threw for 36 touchdowns to six interceptions last year, that's next level. And he's a huge reason why the Ravens are so dominant. They obviously are fantastic defensively, but he makes everything go offensively. Five touchdowns to no interceptions this year. I think when I look at him versus a guy like Allen, I just trust Lamar a little bit more. Allen honestly has maybe more upside just because he throws the football at a higher level when he's at his absolute best. Isn't the same runner, but is also a really dynamic runner. Not even close to the same runner, but is that kind of all-around threat? I'm going Lamar at four. Who do you have at three? Uh, I ended up leaving Lamar off my list, so I'm going to assume that we have the same top three. Uh, Lamar, to me, just doesn't throw as crisp a football as Josh Allen and doesn't have that like you can get the Michael Vick comparisons. I don't think I think Vick could just at the flick of his wrist just sling it. Do you think that a lot of that is predicated upon you question him as far as how he performs in the playoffs? My comparison for the Ravens is honestly the Milwaukee Bucks of the NBA. They have this incredible formula that works at such a high level throughout the regular season. And when it gets to the playoffs, when you need that malleability, when you need that kind of guy who can beat you in any way, they don't quite have it because if you get down a couple touchdowns, which they're not going to do often in the regular season because they're that good, then you're in a bit of trouble. Uh, so what are you asking exactly? Is your skepticism of Lamar based on postseason concerns? Uh, no, my, my skepticism of, of Lamar is, from what game tape I've just seen on him, he just doesn't throw the football <laughs> as well as I want him to. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Harbaugh has crafted a great offensive system around Lamar. It works. They get yardage. He's a smart quarterback that's fit for this system. But how I'd like to play football, I don't think Lamar has uh, a good enough arm to, to succeed. Okay, so who do you have at number three? At number three, I have Aaron Rodgers, and I think some of his success this season, honestly, I think you have to attribute it a little bit to Aaron Jones and what he's been able to do running the football. Uh, He's kept guys honest in the box, but Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback outside of Patrick Mahomes I've ever seen. He's got better instincts, he's got better play calling, and I don't know if you heard the report um, from earlier today, but calling plays on his own, saying, oh, my, my headset doesn't work. That's genius. That's the only stuff that Rodgers can do because he's that smart and he's that good a football player. Um, I, two-time MVP. Aaron is just, 
consistently one of the best throwers of the football. He knows where to be on the field, and it doesn't matter what wideout you give him. If Devontae Adams is there, if he isn't, Aaron Rodgers is going to go out there and win you that football game. I like how you put it as him being that smart as far as the self-induced calling his own plays. I think it's more that he's that egotistical, but I love it. Aaron Rodgers (laughs) is arrogant, and he is incredible, and he is back, baby, because He's been good for the last two seasons, obviously basically never throwing an interception. Hasn't been the same dynamic threat that he was for the rest of his career up until that point. But 67% completion, nine touchdowns to zero interceptions, two commanding star performances. Again, the Packers are averaging 41 a game, and you're right. Aaron Jones has been that threat on the ground as a receiver. He's a touchdown machine, but I still think, I believe that Lazard is their leading receiver right now. That tells you it's a little bit more about Aaron Rodgers than anybody else. Let's get into the top two. I think it's pretty obvious where we're going to go. Who do you have? Uh, yeah, it is. I think it is pretty obvious. I've got Russell Wilson at two, and I don't know how you can go with anybody else at one and two other than our two guys because they've clearly been a step above any other quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, Russell throws one of the prettiest deep balls in the NFL, and when you give him a weapon, a weapon like DK Metcalf, such a physical, fast receiver, good things are going to happen. He can just throw it up anywhere. DK is going to get under it and score. Uh, obviously, would have been a little nicer last week if DK had held on to the football, but. The thing about Russell that makes him so special is consistently year to year, no excuses. He has a bad O-line, it doesn't matter. He has a bad receiving core, it doesn't matter. He has a bad pass rush on the other side of the ball, it doesn't matter. Russell Wilson wins football games, and that's why I would take him as the second best quarterback in the NFL. He's incredible at winning those close ones, and at this point, through three games... They haven't even gotten the close ones because he's been that dynamic. 14 touchdowns to one interception, 77% completion. Also, and this is a theme with all five of my guys and all five of your guys, these are mobile quarterbacks. These are guys who can kill you outside of the pocket and can make those throws on the move. And that is the football world that we are living in right now. And it's awesome because the quarterback position is more exciting than ever. Passer rating isn't a good stat, but I still have to share that through three games, Russell Wilson's is 139. Like, that's just unthinkable, and yes, that's just an aggregate of base-level stats, but he's been close enough to perfect through three entire football games. The guy is that special, but number one is the most talented quarterback we've ever seen in my eyes, for both of us, I assume, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Yeah, and Patrick, nine touchdowns and no interceptions, same as Aaron Rodgers. It's been interesting to see, like, uh, Mahomes hasn't looked like he's had to sweat like he has in previous years. It just looks like the Chiefs offense is coming easy, and... I would take Pat Mahomes not only because of his arm and his brains, but like Patrick Mahomes, as Peyton T. Gallagher explained to me as a Chiefs fan, he is genetically like superior to other quarterbacks. He's like double jointed in his elbow or something. And literally he can just throw the ball farther and more accurately than guys because he's Carson. He's actually built different, like genetically <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is genetically engineered to succeed. Um, He's been the best quarterback in football. I don't think that's arguable. He's so much more talented than any other quarterback in football. And this is he's going to be the greatest quarterback of all time in 15 years' time. I agree. I think he should be the greatest football player of all time. And I tweeted after his performance against the Ravens, there's only ever been one quarterback who you could put in any given situation and they were going to be a contender, and that was Peyton Manning because they were inevitably inevitably going to win 12 games if it was in Indy, if it was in Denver, no matter who his number one receiver was. And I think Mahomes, although admittedly we have only seen him in really good situations thus far with a great O-line and with great weapons and with a brilliant coach, I think he's that kind of guy because that arm talent goes anywhere and you could say 
Rodgers is the closest thing, but even Rodgers, we've seen have a couple down seasons as far as team success. I don't foresee that ever happening with Patrick Mahomes. And maybe he's a chief for life. Maybe he never has a bad situation, but he's just that special as a single player and nothing is more important than an elite quarterback, especially right now in football. Let's move into another position group. Top five running back rooms in football. Who do you have at number five? Uh, I'd like to mention my first two omissions. Uh, McCaffrey and Barkley are off my list because they're out right now and injured. Uh, they would surely both be on there if they're healthy. I also left Ezekiel Elliott off my list despite his consistency the past few seasons and being one of the top running backs in the league. Uh, at number five, I have Dalvin Cook. And it's because he's kept the Vikings in these first few games behind a terrible O-line and Kirk Cousins not throwing pretty footballs. Uh, 50 yards and 63 in the first two weeks, and 181 last week, four total touchdowns. Uh, I think they need to get him more involved in the receiving game, because what I've seen out of Dalvin Cook, he can be such a dynamic dual threat, and that's what I thought the Vikings offense was going to do this season. They have not changed. They want Dalvin Cook to be that single-back guy when... I think they should be running more shotgun, getting Dalvin Cook out in the flat, and just letting him dance. It's what the Saints do with Alvin Kamara. You get a guy who can move like that out in space. Uh, Dalvin Cook, to me, maybe not a definitive top five guy uh, carved out the way that the top two guys for me are, but uh, Dalvin Cook's a solid runner, and if they can just get an offensive line and an offensive system built around him, I think Dalvin Cook will thrive. Production-wise, he's probably been the best running back in football to this point, maybe Aaron Jones, and that's only through three weeks, but the guy is unreal. I'm a little higher, and I am focusing here on the overall potency of a backfield, so I'm not going to do it individually. At number five, I do have the Tennessee Titans, and Derrick Henry as an individual would probably rank higher because he was a single force at the running back position last year like we haven't seen in a long time. He had 446 rushing yards in three playoff games on 5.4 yards per carry, on the season as a whole, 15, 40, and 16 touchdowns on 5.1 yards per carry. And the dude is a workhorse like nobody else in football. 82 carries over three games for 319 yards. One thing, though, that does stand out to me a bit is obviously the running game is inevitably tied to the offensive line. And the loss of Jack Conklin, I think it has already hurt the Titans as far as the efficiency of their running game with Derrick Henry slipping from five plus yards per carry to under four. And I think will continue to hurt them a little bit. Physically, he is unmatched. The dude is a 6'3", 240 beast who can run over anybody and is also lightning fast, but they don't have that second option alongside him, and I think the old line is not quite what it was last year when he was able to single-handedly carry them to victories, and that includes in the playoffs. Let's move on to number four. Who do you have there? Uh, so four, I took Alvin Kamara um, just because he's the Saints' entire offense. He's a guy that... Uh, the only guy I can compare Alvin Kamara to the way they use him is Le'Veon Bell in his early Steeler days because he's such a dynamic threat in the receiving game and in the running game. Uh, I think he's the most agile back in the league. He's great change of pace, great juking ability, um, and big playability. Uh, I would take Kamara over just about anybody as a receiving back outside of Christian McCaffrey, and the Saints are going to need to ride him this season uh, if... Okay, yes, I said that Drew Brees had a noodle arm, and I came back and retracted that statement. But if it is the case, <laughs> they are going to have to rely on Kamara uh, to make some big plays as the Saints go along. You're right. I think that outside of McCaffrey, he's the best receiving back in football. I don't have as much faith in the Saints all-around backfield. My number four is the Vikings, though, and you just touched on it. Cook has 294 yards and four touchdowns on 6.1 yards per carry through three weeks. 
Alexander Madison is a pretty good backup in the scheme of things. 90 yards on 5.3 yards per carry thus far. And they're doing what they can to salvage an offense in a team that has really struggled. It's probably not going to be enough. But what we've seen from healthy Dalvin Cook throughout his career thus far is certainly top five running back in football level. Let's get into the top three. Who do you have? Uh, number three is a guy that I was really skeptical um, as a pick coming out of the draft. It's Josh Jacobs. But what I have seen out of Josh Jacobs this season, he's shifty, he's explosive, he's extremely elusive. Bama's system of switching running backs out has kept him so fresh for the NFL, and you were seeing the dividends being paid off in Las Vegas. Uh, three TDs in week one, 93 yards, 88 yards, and 71 yards here through three weeks. He gives you consistent offense, and I think he's one of the best runners. I'm not as confident in his receiving ability, although I think the Raiders could utilize him like that. Uh, Jacobs is a great pure runner of the football between the tackles. He's unreal, and he is, outside of Derrick Henry, maybe the number one workhorse guy in football right now. 68 carries through three weeks. Not the most efficient, but I do think that'll pick up, and they clearly depend on him heavily. And I think when you talk about him in the receiving game, only 166 yards receiving last season, already has 10 catches for 75 through three games this year. And I think that when you look at just how this Raiders offense is opening up, he will continue to be involved there. And that takes him up to another level as a guy. He was a tough cut for me. My number three, I do have the Panthers backfield. And that is because if McCaffrey were out for the season, then I wouldn't have them. And I know he's on IR, but IR rules are different right now. It's probably going to be only a few weeks. What's so interesting is it's not just McCaffrey. When you look at Mike Davis, He's so highly utilized in the receiving game. Davis has 16 catches for 119 yards already. McCaffrey, through two games that he was healthy, had 220 yards from scrimmage and four touchdowns. He's probably the best running back in football. And Davis isn't some exceptional backup, but I do think it's fascinating that these guys are just able to produce in the passing game no matter what. Let's get into the top two now. Who do you have in the runner-up spot? Uh, number two, I have Nick Chubb. Uh, he's an absolute bowling ball rolling the football, uh, <laughs> rolling the football, running the football. Uh, he led the league in broken tackles last season. Uh, he just, outside of Derrick Henry, I think he's the strongest power back in the league. He gets lower than defenders. He keeps his feet moving through tackles. Um, Nick Chubb is unbelievable. I'm so glad that the Browns have reinforced a little bit of the offensive line so they can have a more potent rushing attack. Uh, as you saw last week, Baker Mayfield only 156 yards. It's a big reason why the Browns win, because they can't really trust Baker to win them games. They've got to trust Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt between these guards to get them to win. I have the Browns duo at number one, but I think my number two is going to shock you. I have the San Francisco 49ers, and obviously they do not have that single star level guy, but I don't know how I could go against them, because if you just look at the production, yes, part of it is driven by an elite offensive line and a brilliant offensive coach and a highly effective zone running scheme, but... They had the best rushing attack in football last year. They are replicating that efficiency this year. Raheem Mostert, 6.4 yards per carry, also 110 receiving yards. The guy is so explosive, gets involved in every in every element of the offense. Jarek McKinnon, 7 yards per carry, 59 receiving yards. Tevin Coleman hasn't had the best start to the season, but is always versatile as a receiving back as well. They just have these bunch of quick guys who can do it all out there. They have a great coach driving it all, and... At the end of the day, running backs are not always as much about the individual talent as they are about the scheme and the line and everything that is around them. And I think that the Niners are a great example of that. They have guys who just get the job done at a really high level and are honestly, because of that, as valuable as any individual star, save maybe Henry or McCaffrey. But as a collective unit, they have to be right up there. 
Do you think the Niners' identity offensively is more crushing, bruising, running between the tackles football, or is it more West Coast? I think it's more West Coast because what's interesting is even though they are so run heavy, it's a lot of runs to the outside. It's really defined by that speed, that quickness, that ability to get downfield. They're not necessarily bruising you like a Derrick Henry or, or a Jerome Bettis or whoever. Uh, do you think that the loss of a guy like Matt Breda is going to affect them heavily, or do you do you like the uh, trio that they have now? I like McKinnon more than Breda, and McKinnon was a guy who obviously was hurt last year. I think that as a receiving back, he's even more dynamic. He has that same quickness, big playability offensively, and I think that they're going to be just fine without him because they can almost swap in those pieces as long as they're pretty good running backs, and they're going to be great. Let's get to the top spot. Who do you have at number one? Uh, number one, I do have Derrick Henry. It, he's... I think you can attribute a lot of his success to the run blocking that the Titans have had, but he's so quick for such a big back. He stops and read runs kind of Le'Veon Bell style, not as that exaggerated, but he's so hard to knock down. He just runs and bruises and rumbles over guys like Jerome Bettis, Earl Campbell style. It's so much fun to watch. Uh, carved up Minnesota for 119 yards, carved up uh, Denver for 116 uh, last season, obviously, led the league in rushing and uh, rushing touchdowns. Uh, Derrick Henry is the best running back I have seen. Derrick Henry is the best running back in football purely as a runner, I think. I don't think it's close. I agree with that completely. My question is just, is the efficiency going to continue to drop off? And I also don't think that any one man can compare to the duo that we have in Cleveland right now where you have Nick Chubb giving you 292 and four touchdowns through three weeks on 5.7 yards per carry. Kareem Hunt over 200 yards, 5.2 yards per carry, also two receiving touchdowns. These guys were nearly two of the last three rushing champs. Nick Chubb had that advantage until... Week 15 or week 16, he was leading the pack, and Kareem Hunt obviously did it as a rookie in Kansas City. Those guys are on the same team right now, and they look just about as good as ever, and I don't think that anyone can really match that. Okay, let's wrap up this exercise by finishing off with another offensive weapon, that being the best receiving groups in football. Top five, Logan, who do you have in the fifth spot? Uh, number five, I have the Cleveland Browns. As you just discussed, their dominant rushing attack. They could have as equally dominant a receiving attack if they had a better quarterback. But uh, talent-wise, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, I think, are the best talent duo in the NFL. Uh, Odell, a five-time 1,000-yard receiver. Jarvis, a three-time 1,000-yard receiver. And Odell has some of the best hands I've ever seen. Uh, I know they're tired of Baker Mayfield. I wish they had a better guy slinging him the football so we could see some better numbers and some better football in Cleveland. It's totally fair. Odell is that special talent-wise. Landry was such a consistent, productive guy in Miami. I just think those are a couple guys who have underperformed for a few years consecutively, and I'm not going to bet on them. And I think that when you look at the definition of overperforming, you got to look to the Buffalo Bills this year. Their leading trio, Stefan Diggs with 288, Cole Beasley with 228, to me one of the most underrated receivers in football, had a huge third and 22 conversion. The guy just weaves his way through the defense, has that speed, also has sure hands, a great route runner. John Brown, always dynamic, 1,000-yard receiver last year. We saw Gabriel Davis with a breakout performance, 81 yards in Week 3. I think he's really talented out of UCF. He could be one of the best number four receivers in football. Isaiah McKenzie is a unique weapon, a guy who basically only ever is utilized in end-arounds and pitches, but he's pretty darn good at it. And so I think the depth right there, maybe they don't have that one top five guy, but so many reliable players who get open and who are trusted by their quarterback and who make big plays when they need it. Number four, who do you have? 
I'm going to disagree with the Buffalo take. Uh, you had to bring up Isaiah McKenzie. Um, He's good. <laughs> number four, <laughs> number four. I have the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Amari Cooper this year, 25, 267, four touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb, 16, 230, and five. Michael Gallup, uh, excuse me, uh, 16, 230, no touchdowns. He's had five catches and 50 yards in every game so far. Um, and then Michael Gallup, six catches, 138 yards, and a touchdown last week versus Seattle. Um, I think this wide receiving core is one of the reasons Dak Prescott has been so consistent this season. Uh, and I, I just think talent-wise, I think you can make a case that the Cowboys have the most talented receiving core in the league. I may make that case. Wink, wink. I have your Pittsburgh Steelers number four. I think that when you look at what the production they're getting from Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, and Juju Smith-Schuster, all pretty even right now between 149 and 160 yards. But Juju's that kind of guy who was a number one, can give you a 1,400-yard season. Deontay Johnson has such ridiculous big playability. Got to be a top five, just shiftiest receiver in football. That guy is unreal and I think could take this receiving core to even another level because Pittsburgh somehow, man, every single year, they just get these dynamic playmakers out wide. And then I think a Claypool, a 6'4 guy who ran a 4-4-40, we've seen that athletic ability, the upside there as a number three guy, pretty darn good. And I think that to me, it's the real star potential of Deontay Johnson that makes me think this team, first of all, belongs to be here and has the potential to go even higher. It's not the star ability of Deontay Johnson. It's the star ability of Chase Claypool. I'm telling you, that guy is a Plaxico Burris 2.0 on the rise. He is that dangerous. I like Claypool a lot, but I look at Deontay Johnson and I'm like, you can just throw that guy the ball and he's going to get you 10 yards somehow. It's a little bit like what you had from a young Jarvis Landry. I think there's a little more upside there from Deontay though. I really like him. Let's get into the top three. Who do you have? Uh, number three, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Mike Evans is the most consistent wideout in football. Uh, six straight seasons, over 1,000 yards since his rookie year. Um, two seasons, he's had 12 TDs. Another two, he's had eight. Chris Godwin, 11, 143, and one for this season. Uh, Godwin is a great second option at wideout. Um, great slot, great over the middle, and he's had an uptick in production the past two seasons. And then uh, they've got Scotty Miller, a little speedy slot guy, really fast. Tom Brady seems like he's uh, paired up with him well. He's got 14 targets through two weeks. Uh, I like what I've seen out of Scotty Miller. You chuckle a little bit, Carson. I like him. What's incredible to me is you have two guys in Godwin and Evans who combined for nearly 2,500 yards and 17 touchdowns last year, and Scotty Miller is their leading receiver right now. It's ridiculous, but I have the Bucks at number three as well, so we agree there. I think that that tandem up top is just incredible and part of a series of great weapons for this Bucks squad. Number two, who do you have? Uh, I have the Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, Tyree Kill is a weapon by himself. I would have the Chiefs in any top five just so I could get the speed of this offense. Uh, 15 catches, 222, and three touchdowns for Tyree Kill so far this season. Sammy Watkins could be a number one somewhere in the NFL, over 500 yards and three touchdowns. He just fits well with this offense. Then you get a guy like Mecole Hardman, 538 and six touchdowns in his rookie season. Uh, they're just all explosive, explosive, agile athletes, and they fit well with Pat Mahomes and throwing the ball downfield. The Chiefs are fantastic to me, though. Kelsey is probably the most important part of that unit, and I was strict with my definition. I was thinking only receivers, and so I didn't give him credit. The Chiefs would be a borderline top five unit to me just based off of receivers, but not quite there. My number two is the Falcons, who I mentioned earlier. I think they have two top five wide receivers in football. Calvin Ridley, 349 yards, four touchdowns, 100 plus in each game. Just always seems to be open. A fantastic route runner. Also a great contested catcher. He's quick. He's shifty. You have Julio Jones, who may be the most talented wide receiver of all time outside of Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss. You have Russell Gage, who's producing. I think that it's a fantastic all-around unit. Let's get in quickly to your number one. 
What is the best receiving core in football? Oh, you just brought up uh, the Atlanta Falcons with Julio and Calvin Ridley have looked dominant this season. Of course, it is a little byproduct of Dan Quinn never wanting to run the football, but uh, they've got a great three guys you mentioned in Russell Gage, uh, great slot receiver, agility, open field speed. Uh, they're just clearly so much more talented than any other unit in football. I would push back with only one other unit, and that is the Dallas Cowboys, because I really feel like they could have 3,000-yard receivers right now, which has only happened five times in NFL history. You have Lamb, Gallup, and Cooper all at 230-plus right now, and they all complement each other so well. Gallup is that great deep threat. Cooper is that consistent possession guy who can also have that game-breaking ability, but I'm trying to, you know put them in their roles a little bit here. And then Lamb is that unique weapon who can do really whatever you need. That kind of versatility is really, truly special. When we talk about special, let's run down real quick before we go. Won't have much time to explain, but give me your number five through one power rankings in football right now. Steelers, Bills, Seahawks, Packers, Chiefs. Interesting. We're very close. I went Steelers, Bills, Ravens, Seahawks, Chiefs. So... I think that there's at least a pretty clear group there. You may be a little too out on the Ravens right now, and I think that we will see how that holds up for the rest of the season. I'd have the Ravens at six. I'm not out on the Ravens. I just didn't like what I saw against Kansas City. And I had the Packers at six. I do have to address Bills over Steelers because I said early in this season that I thought the Steelers were the better team and that they were the third best team in the AFC. But the difference right now to me is Josh Allen, just how easily the offense is moving that consistently. I don't think there should be any question about the Chiefs at number one what Russell Wilson is giving right now, and Aaron Rodgers, who obviously you have them higher with the Packers. It's that same just unstoppable quarterback factor. Just for the Bills, I think that they've played better teams so far uh, just because they went over the Rams. That puts them in a different class than the Steelers, but uh, it's close right now. It's absolutely close, and the Steelers haven't blown anyone away, but that defense has looked like it's probably the best in football, and the offense is certainly solid enough to make them a very scary team come playoff time. That is going to do it for our first live show in quite some time. You can check us out at nerd underscore on Twitter at nerd on Instagram. We are producing video content with every podcast we do. As I mentioned, there will be a trivia time special sports history episode coming in hot. I have been Carson Brabber. Alongside me was Logan Camden, and this was Nerd Sesh. You are listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah! And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that! A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in! Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it! Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby! Wait! 
Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.